Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. I'm Matt Taibbi. And we are here to pump you up. I always <laughs> want to say that. We have a great show. We have a great show. Who's on the show? Cenk Uger, founder of the Young Turks. Right. And he's running for Congress. Right, future member of Congress. Yeah. So the next time we interview him, he's probably going to be on the other side of the equation where he's like the enemy. He's a politician. Yeah, we're going to hold his feet to the fire. Right. Right, because he's going to get that great uh, Useful Idiots podcast bump. That's right. That, you know, Chase Boudin got and that Andrew Yang got in donations after he appeared on the show. Right. And that maybe if Mark Ruffalo comes on the show, he'll, he'll get win some an Oscar. recognition. Yeah, he'll win an Oscar. Right. Just saying. Yes, we have a fantastic show. And we have a lot to get to, so we should just get to it. Yeah. Four food groups. Republicans suck. I mean, I know it's boring to do Donald Trump. I know, but we don't do him a lot. We don't do we don't do him a lot. So um, basically, he's got a new law that's it's an executive order, basically declaring uh, Judaism to be a nationality. Mm-hmm. So here, let's look at a clip briefly with uh, an interview with uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal. Today, the president's going to sign an executive order, which effectively makes Judaism a nationality in regards to students at college in, in protected college speech. What he's trying to do is crack down on anti-Semitism, some anti-Semitism on college campuses. In in doing that, the 1964 civil rights law, you basically have to say that Judaism is a nationality. There are some people who, who don't doubt the motivations here, but that's a precarious label in this case. The Soviet Union did that for instance, uh, called Jews, Judaism a nation. It, it, it's a religion. What's the risk reward there? Is this something you support? I am very, very wary as a Jew of labeling Judaism as a nationality. It smacks not only of what happened in the Soviet Union, but also Nazi Germany, that my own father escaped in 1935. I'm an American. I am an American. My religion is Judaism, and my allegiance is to the United States of America. So what do you think? Well, you may not have expected this. I'm a little conflicted. Yeah, I, I understand that. It's, it is a little confusing. Obviously, it's terrible. Obviously, it's like the motivations are terrible. Trump is someone who has inflamed uh, bigotry. You know, he refused to condemn the Charlottesville violence. And with, with you know, with Jews, he said, you're disloyal if you don't. Oh my God, you're disloyal you know. if you're not pro-Israel. Um, it is interesting though, because I'm a Jew and I'm not religious, but that's not, I don't want Trump talking about that. Right. I mean, it's just an interesting thing that a lot of people don't get, which is how you can be Jewish without being Jew- religious. Right, the, the biggest thing for me is the t- total tone deafness of this because. Oh, it's a, such an anti-Semitic trope. I mean, the. You know, when I was in school in the Soviet Union, in passports, right. there's a little thing that says nationality right. in your passports, and you would get a number. Right. Right. So if you were Jewish, you would have a number five. Yeah. So people, they were, they were people were called fifth group invalids. Oh, right? invalids. Yeah. Invalid piate groupi, right? So if you if you tried to get a job and they saw that five, they wouldn't give you a job, like. And to me, it's as tone deaf as saying, oh, I want to keep track of the Jews. Let's put them, yeah, a, yeah. let's put a number on their arms. You right. know what I mean? Like forgetting the, the historical. Right. But it's really a great example of how Israel and Zionism are actually like bad for the Jews in right. general. I'm just going to, it's, a, it's a, almost a perfect metaphor because you have Trump engaging in this very scary, bigoted, old school anti-Semitic labeling of Jews and conflating it with a nation, you know, like we're loyal to Israel or we're from a different country or, but it's all because he is trying to shelter people from having to confront 
criticism of Israel, which is not anti-Semitic. In fact, it's anti-Semitic to suggest that criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic because that suggests that you are all Jews are pro whatever Israel does, that Israel is an extension or representation of all Jews. And it's not. It's a it's a there are lots of Zionists. There are lots of anti-Zionists. There are lots of people in between. That's what's so frustrating about all of this is Trump is both bigoted and really does not condemn anti-Semitism or bigotry and he also, it's like the worst of both worlds. He totally lionizes the apartheid state that is Israel. I'll call it that. But then what's also annoying is that no one deals with the fact that BDS, boycott, divest, sanctions, is not anti-Semitic. Right. So that's the other thing that's really frustrating. Because you have them talking about, like, oh, of course his intentions are good. He's trying to crack down on anti-Semitism. No, BDS is not anti-Semitic. But it's this, free but, speech but also. But this is just the way, but it's it's so classically Trump. Because yeah. this is his idea of, know. Of, of, how, of how to show that he's not... That he's, you know, not being discriminatory, or that he, that he's trying to prevent hate speech right. or whatever. So he does something that's totally discriminatory and and you know tone deaf to. to right, but I'm curious how many Jews actually like. I, I don't has APAC responded to this. I don't know. I mean, because th- this is what some and there are some super Zionist Jews who are fine with this. Like, look, I mean, this is a kind of a microcosm of Trump's alliances with Netanyahu and Viktor Orban, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. the short version, we don't want Trump talking about this, making no. executive orders on this. That sucks. So what we, we have a lot, we have a good one on Democrats suck. To, yeah, this, this um, so on Democrats suck, we have- Big one this week, Big yeah. one for Democrats suck is that Hillary Clinton went on Howard Stern's show, basically blamed uh, Bernie Sanders for hurting her, for not helping her in the election, um, talked about the Russians, and she and Howard Stern made fun of Bernie Sanders' idea to give children chocolate milk, free chocolate milk. Which is really funny to joke about. You know, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm starting to come around on Hillary. This to me is starting to feel like a punk band tour. You know what I mean? Like it's so, so so annoying. Yeah, it's almost good. It's it's like it's moved into trolling territory, and I kind of I'm I'm starting to admire her. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to admire the work a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, but like not as she intends it. No, but it's start. It's starting to be funny. Yeah, I mean, I it, I can't believe the chocolate milk thing though. Right, milk, milk. I know. Milk is it chocolate? Is it the chocolate part that makes it like they're spoiled if they get chocolate yeah, milk? No, like it, they deserve regular yeah, milk, but chocolate free, is coddling. Free milk would have been okay, yeah. but chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Also, she and her husband did like a hundred and forty million dollars worth of spe- speeches in the la- you know yeah. since since whenever it was, and you know. Just don't. It just doesn't get better than two multi-millionaires two you know, talking yeah. about free chocolate milk. This is great. Yeah. Let's listen. Bernie Sanders, and this was a perception I had. Mm-hmm. You would say a policy when you right. were running against right. him for the nomination. Right, right. And the next day you go, yeah, well, free college for everyone. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like when you run for a, a fifth grade class. Yeah, right. That's I'll give right. you free yeah. everything. Chocolate milk for Chocolate everyone. Chocolate milk for everyone and yeah. more recess. <laughs> yeah. More pizza. Words, and then it makes it and look then, like you're a stick in the mud. I know. And then when you say, well, wait a minute. It, where, where's no the sense. money going to come from? Then, yeah. What a matter? Are you against free college? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> That's really funny. Really funny, Hillary. You are against free college, first right. of all. Why are you saying that like it's an outlandish thing? Second of all, where are you going to get the money from? Is Maybe that shave it off the, the $750 mil- billion dollar defense budget yeah. that we don't need. That the Dems are happy to co-sign. Yeah. Also, Hillary Clinton stumped for the Welfare Reform Act, which was terrible for kids. Well, maybe she's stumping for Bernie Sanders I, without realizing it. May, yeah, maybe it, it, might, it might be like a like a vaudeville thing, right? Yeah. Like she's actually doing this on purpose. Uh, whatever, it's, start, it's starting to be funny. And then there was also the 
from the fantastic moment where where Howard said that Kissinger, who was the oh. gold standard, just adored her or whatever yeah. it was. Now that's that's that doesn't get it. That's like hashtag resistance all star moment. I mean, right? it's like, total resistance all star moment. We should have that actually. We right. should have like awards for that. That is awful. So, you know, it's. I have to say, when I was listening to this, I was like, he's such a good interviewer. Like, I hate these people so much right now, and I want to keep listening. He's well, really good at interviewing. I mean, people. a lot of times you you will get more out of people when they feel relaxed. Oh, of course so, you will. Yeah. Yeah. And also, he, this thing. Yeah, I know. What is so, that? We're putting our fingers on our. Our jaw, which is what Hillary's because she, doing. she yeah. throughout the interview she kept leaning back and put and yeah. it reminds me there's a scene there's a movie Man with Two Brains the Steve Martin yeah. movie where Carl Reiner has his hands in the side of his and and Steve Martin asks him when are you going to get your hands surgically removed from your face like yeah. yeah I think that that's it's like it's surgically stuck to her face yeah yeah it's fantastic I don't, I don't know what's wrong there there's this really dangerous myth that that Bernie Sanders hurt Hillary Clinton which I'm her, I'm sure you guys oh have yeah no the heard. whole thing where yeah. you know only 85% of Hillary's voters voted for for Obama and not, it was like 92% for of, of Bernie's voted yeah, for her yeah and and I actually put out a a tweet asking how many events she did for Obama versus Bernie for yeah, Hillary. Yeah, Bernie did 37. Yeah, uh, she did 13 public events and three big dollar fundraisers for Obama. This is three times less than the amount or number of campaign events that Bernie did for HRC in 2016. 41 public events, no fundraisers. This is from Thomas's online. That's who tweeted it. I, I remember talking to Bernie at that time, and he was li- he was literally exhausted. Like he he was. He was in a bad yeah. mood because he was traveling so much. So. It's just entitled narcissism. She talks about herself. She's this big victim. She and Howard Stern care about her and her tragedy and way more than they do about the people who are suffering at the hands of Trump. And Hillary Clinton said, I hope like he endorses no matter who wins this time. I hope he doesn't do that again, implying he's not going to win. And you know what? Hillary Clinton and Howard Stern would probably rather someone else win the primary and lose to Trump, then Sanders win both. Well, you know, as you, you disagree with me a little bit on Republicans suck, I just, I think I'm going to disagree with you. I, I, like, for me, I, I kind of hope this whole fuck everybody, I'm Hillary Clinton yeah. tour, I, I hope it continues. Uh, I'm starting to enjoy it. Uh, isn't that weird? This is going to be really short. Yeah. Pigeons with hats. That's all I got. It's pigeons with hats. Can we see the video? Video of pigeons walking around with tiny cowboy hats in Las Vegas parking lot has left many people confused. The video was taken on December 5th and shows several pigeons with small hats on their heads. So somebody put hats on pigeons and uh, let them walk around Las Vegas, and this uh, is on the internet. It's just awesome. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? It should be. Yeah. I mean, somebody had to sit down and make that little cowboy hat. Yeah. Whoever that person is, I love that person. Come on the show. Come on the show. Anyway, that's all I got. Pigeons with hats. What do we have for Isn't That Terrible? All right. Isn't That Terrible? We got uh, repeat offender uh, Neera Tandon. Who oh, t- tweeted, one of our favorite people. One of our faves who tweeted the following about a letter that was signed uh, against Jeremy Corbyn. So she wrote that this letter has been written by so many I admire, including John le Carre, Oz Coderji, and Tom Holland is a tragedy. Labor's anti-Semitism problem should have been rooted out long ago. Concerns about anti-Semitism mean we cannot vote Labor. And then she links to a, um, a letter in The Guardian that basically, uh, as we talked about on the last episode, there's a lot of smearing of Corbyn and of labor as uniquely anti-Semitic. Right. And yeah, guess what? There's anti-Semitism in the world. There's anti-Semitism in England. And there's anti-Semitism in the Tory party. Yeah, so vote Tory, I guess. Yeah, is what I know. I love it. She's yeah. like, oh, something happened. Like, what is the, what is the, the anti-Semitic policy of labor? 
that puts them Jews in danger. Well, I think they would say support of Palestine. I almost admire Nira for doing this. It's like, isn't that terrible? Isn't that awesome? That she just overtly says because of this smear campaign. Like, I like that she doesn't pretend to not be a right winger. Right. Like Hillary and, and Howard Stern, it's great. They're just owning it. They're right wingers. Yeah, They're exactly. reactionaries. They hate poor people. And they hate poor people here in the United States. They hate children. They don't want them to have chocolate milk. Yeah, because they drink too much chocolate milk. Because they drink too much chocolate milk and they get fat and lazy. Right. Even though they're so cute when they're chubby. they're not economically productive. Yeah, they're not good workers. Right. Right? Then in England, they want like, um, what's her name's party? Margaret Thatcher's party to be on the rise. So they're Republicans. You know, they're Republicans. And, and this is what this this is great because this is going to, again, it's a preview of what's going to happen yeah. if, if With, Bernie right, wins the nomination. Right, but he'll be called self-loathing too, <laughs> or he'll be part of a, uh, you know, a gaggle of anti-Semites, but not based on policy because they can't admit that they don't like those things. But it's, this is, you know, this really is an isn't that awesome. Or this could be an isn't that, isn't that Democrat or Republican? Yeah. That could be another We kind of fudge the thing here. I mean, normally we're talking about a disease that's killing lots of people or I know, whatever well, it is. But people, so, no, animals. Animals, Almost right, always animals. Yeah, but yeah. I really want to talk about this. Also, the Guardian won't print a letter signed by a lot of Jews. That sounds so sketchy and vague. There is an organized Jews for Labor thing, and they wrote a letter, and the Guardian won't print it. If you care about giving voice to Jews and you care about protecting them from anti-Semitism, maybe you should let the Jews who don't agree with you politically have a say also. It just, it's very troubling. It's terrible. So they wrote this letter and because The Guardian refused to publish it and because we focus a lot on media bias on this show, it's only appropriate that I, a Jewess, and I would let you do it too, Matt, if you want, we can take turns, that we read this letter that The Guardian won't touch. We are Jewish voters who view the general election as one of the most critical in our country's recent history. Austerity inflicted by the Tory government with liberal Democrat support for the first five years has resulted in huge cuts to vital public services. 14.3 million people, including 4.1 million children, living in poverty with many forced into destitution and 130,000 excess deaths. Aren't all deaths excess? I guess it means like you don't die of um, old age or something, Right. right? Uh, The Institute for Fiscal Studies has said that the Tories' modest proposals for additional spending will leave the effects of austerity baked in. The only alternative is a labor government committed to reversing the effects of austerity, increasing public spending to the level of our European partners, and an ambitious green industrial revolution to combat the climate emergency. Labor has acknowledged that it should have been more rigorous in dealing with anti-Semitism within the party and must develop an effective strategy to allay the fears of many in our community. All parties need to have clear procedures for eliminating racism of all kinds, and it alarms us that the Tory leader is himself a purveyor of racist language, followed recently by a tripling of Islamophobic attacks. We are extremely concerned, too, by recent anti-Semitic attacks, but recognize that all minorities will be safest when the wider community feels secure. This cannot happen when the government pursues divisive policies completely at odds with the Jewish tradition of social justice and likely to fuel the rise of the far right. We urge all our fellow citizens, Jewish and non-Jewish, who wish to see a fairer and more cohesive society to vote labor on 12 December. That's December 12th, by the way, in American. Yeah, I think you need to do it again, but in a British accent. We urge our fellow citizens, <laughs> Jewish and non-Jewish. I, I need to know how to do a Jewish-British accent. I could do it Every New time York I try Jewish to do accent. a British accent, it comes out like Robin Leach. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that accent. All right, we have a new segment. Yeah. Because we're all about the customer. 
We're all about the customers. Right. We're trying Customer, to provide yeah. new services all the time, Customer making users user friendly. Yeah. Yep. And this is going to have an audience participation com- component. We something believe we've in, long sought. Yeah. And franchising people. Right. Because we love the useful idiots podcast audience. We love them. Right. I when I wake up in the morning, I am so grateful. It's the first <laughs> thing I think about waking up. The last thing I think about before going to bed. Me too. Oh my God. Yeah. So this is this is gonna be called the most stone campaign moments yeah. list, right? And basically this is a list that's gonna live somewhere online. We'll have a place for you to go to. And each uh, each episode, we're gonna look at uh, some video clips from the campaign this week. And we're gonna have a little debate about which is the most right. uh, stoned moment yes. on the campaign. And then basically over time, we're gonna have a, a cumulative collective list of which is the most stone moment overall right. in the campaign. And obviously this campaign has already had right. some pretty amazing yeah. ones that Our, we've already right. talked about. Should we talk about where this came from, this yeah, where, moment? Where did it come it from? It came from um, Liz Holio. Right, Liz Holio. Liz Holio. Where I, when I showed you that clip of Warren, you were really, what I love, I don't think you had seen it, right? No. I think I told you not to watch it or you avoided it or something because there's a great, it's so fun to see it for the first time. And so, you were really disturbed by it and by the footage of her saying, good doggy, good doggy on, on video. I remember you were like, oh God. <laughs> um, and so she goes like this, uh, uh, she runs towards the dog, Bailey, and they start chanting big structural Bailey. We still right. don't know what that was about. And you couldn't believe it. And you also thought it reminded you of-, of um, Cornholio. Cornholio. Yeah. Uh, and then you were like, that's one of like the most stoned ideas, most stoned moments of the campaign trail. Uh, and I thought it was more like maybe a combo of like, you, I think at first you said like that's something you should do when you're stoned and you should go to sleep. Right. Yeah. And I was like, take well, an Ambien, go an to Ambien. sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably going to still be on the top of right. the list. I don't think we're going to have anything that's going to beat, you know, running up to a big inflatable dog. While people you know? chant big structural Bailey, the name of her dog. Yeah. But we had some pretty, pretty yeah, great ones. Uh, even just recently, I, uh, I think we should start with. I mean, this list is going to be very Biden heavy. So it has to be. If, if it weren't, we wouldn't be doing our job. Right. So um, there's a couple of good ones from the last last week or so. I mean, you could have ten of them every week. Yeah. Uh, I think let's let's go to the videotape. Let's start with um, Biden in the wrong state. Watch John right. Kerry in this video. By the way, this is okay. great. Primary race for the United States presidency. You have an incredible obligation, not to me at all. Note the sign, to Biden, yourself. New Hampshire. Because what you do here in Iowa. What they do in Iowa, what you do here in a primary in New Hampshire, is going to set the tone. There's okay. a lot there, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a couple. First of all, yeah. this isn't the first time this has happened, this campaign. It, there's, there's been two others uh, where he's, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to be back here in Vermont, right. you know, he's in, he's in New Hampshire. Right. So that, that happens a lot, you know. Uh, this, this one's really good because the sign that says New Hampshire right, is right there. Yeah, exactly. You know? so, Literally uh, it says Biden, for listeners, it says Biden, New Hampshire at the podium that he's standing Walk. He's kind of circling around it in a weird way too. Yeah, it would be it would be better if he were staring directly at it, but he's not. Right. Also, I think we should introduce a concept here. There was a thing that happened in the '90s when Michael Jordan was was uh, really great. Like uh, if you if you got caught in a picture being dunked on right. by Michael Jordan, they called that being posterized. Okay, right? posterized. I yeah. think if you're in a video 
where Biden loses his mind. Yeah. I think we should, we should just call that being Bidenized. Bidenized. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Kerry, like John Kerry here, he's being Bidenized. Okay. In this, so you're, this. it's not like the masses. It's like a famous person who's there with him or are all those people in that, at that venue, are they Bidenized also? No, no. I think no. it's more the person who's in the shot right. with him. Right. You know it's what like, I mean? Yes. Like, you yeah. know, it's, he, he's doing his like, you know, sort of reverse verbal dunks on, on right. top of you. I think we got to introduce that. It's like dunk by association though, right? Yeah, Cause like exactly. you're with this incoherent guy who has no idea what state he's in. Right. So you're going to be viral by right, association, it, yeah. you see? It's the same idea. Yes, you right. know, Michael Jordan's dunking on Craig Elo, right, oh, over and over again. Oh, I see what you mean. Again. That's what it meant. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It got posterized, got it. Yeah, you, you were in that image. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. How stone do you think this is? I don't think it's... Cause well, one man stone is another, is a Biden's normal. Right. That's the thing. That's why he both wins and loses every single one of these. I almost feel like he should be in a separate category because for him to be on a substance, he'd be not making these things. That's true. And I don't know, I, I'm torn about how much of it is just Biden being Biden. Because he's always had this stuff, but it is a little, it's inappropriate, but n intentional. Right. Like, he would say Indian, like, you, he said you can't get a job in 7-Eleven if you don't have an Indian no, very, accent. Very fine people who, like, who still fly the Confederate flag. Yeah, Remember exactly. That one? Right. So he meant to say those things. They're mm -hmm. just awkward and or offensive. But you don't mean to get the state you're in wrong. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. No, and, and to be fair, presidential candidates, they travel so much that it's totally understandable to forget what state you're right. in. It's just, I think with Biden, there's, it's... It My theory is that, a couple things. One is that Kerry has almost no response, right. which is that's Kerry being Kerry. That was right. one of the problems with Kerry, is that he both looks like an inanimate object and, as many people pointed out, like the tree from A Wizard of Oz. He does look like the tree right? from The Wizard of Oz. I, I think he's handsome. I think that gives him some gravitas. He's, Literally, he's, he's very rooted. Fella. He's rooted, and it's good because he's so patrician. He needs some groundedness, so I just realized that the tree look maybe helped, but it didn't help him look very lively. Yeah. What's sad is that, like, Biden... This is so boring for Biden. That's the sad thing. Yeah, no, it's it's a minor one. For, we, have, we have, we have another. We have yeah. another one oh, later. We got a so, lot, but so we, um, we want to be thorough. And all right, let, let's go to the videotape. Elizabeth Warren, I'm gonna get me a beer. I love this one. There we go. Um, I'm glad for everybody who's joining this video. It's great to hear from you. Hold on a sec. I'm gonna get me. Um, get a me a beer. I like this. What? <laughs> And that noise. Hey, my husband Bruce is now in here. Um, you want a beer? No, I'll pass on the beer for now. You sure? Okay, okay. say hello to folks. Yes. So, okay. this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, he's the best. And I'm crazy. I love you too. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. I'm glad you're here. Enjoy your beer. All right. So, okay. Let's discuss. Discuss. Let's discuss this. Yeah. yeah. I like the way it's, there's like, it sounds like she's, there are a bunch of bottles she's like rummaging through. Right. I like that. That's I good. I like that. That's kind of cool. She holds the beer in a kind of awkward. So, okay. So, okay. Yeah. She holds the beer like it's a zebra turd and tweezers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not a, the, the expression of somebody who's often drinking right. a beer. Right. I think this is, you know, I, I am going to go on Instagram holding, uh, holding right. a beer. Right. Right. And then there's the, the. The I'm gonna stand next of to her my husband. Yeah, here, here it's is like my. A, it's like an after-school special, right? She's like trying to pressure him to to drink a beer. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, he definitely has that captured pilot smile yeah. on, and also just the whole, you know, here is my familial sharing unit. Right, right. You know, it's just. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Part of me, as like the after-school special, uh, part of me is like, how dare she try to pressure her husband? Then part of me is like, what a dick he is. 
Why it is, your, your wife is running for president asking you if you want a beer. And you're going to be like, no, no thanks, right. pass. Yeah, oh, oh, that's right. He, do, he doesn't have the beer. Yeah. He should, he should have chugged one right there. Right, exactly. Right? He should have shotgunned a beer. What's that mean? That's... <laughs> That's oh, a, that's a shot, and then you, know, you, oh. you stick a pencil and a beer, and then you. Oh, open. that's cool. We'll do it next. All right, next yeah, time. next time, next yeah, debate yeah. watch party. Yeah. But yeah, I just realized what. Do you think afterwards she was like, "You're fucking dead. You're dead to me. <laughs> you sleep on the couch tonight." Yeah, she's Dog gonna. House. She's gonna bring Dog out house the, with Bailey. Right. Right. Yes. Exactly. She probably took Bailey into the bed. Not. I don't mean that in a gross way. I just mean like she probably was like Bailey gets to sleep in the ma- in the human bed tonight. The human has to sleep in the doghouse. Right. I wonder if there's a rotation. I would. I would. If she's she's going to bring out the the rage that she showed toward Amy Goodman to, to yeah. the husband. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Speaking of dogs, let's go to Cory Booker. Let's go to the videotape. Cory Booker, you're barking up the right tree. Oh this, God, So I so like this that. to set this up. Apparently, uh, he had some kind of interaction with a voter, and there was. The voter sent a picture of a dog or something like that, and and Cory Booker sends a video shout out to this person. Julia, this is a message for Hillary. Hillary, Julia, I know you might think this is rough, but I tell you what, uh, you're barking up the right tree with Hillary in your life. Uh, Hillary's the dog. Awesome. That is awesome. And I want to thank you uh, for all that you do to be a great dog to a fantastic owner who is off the chain, off the leash, <laughs> so to He's speak. He's so good. In their awesomeness. I may so thank him. you uh, so much. Uh, I know that your bark uh, is, is not as bad as your bite um, and that you love the bite treats. Uh, but I know that one thing. Uh, that you love your namesake better than any treat. Uh, HRC is somebody I know, and I know that you are named after a mighty soldier for justice and truth in this nation. So all the best, my paw buddy. Uh, all the best in this dog-eat-dog world. Uh, and I just want you to know you are awesome. You're a hot dog, and I'm going to stop while I'm behind. <laughs> yeah, you should have stopped earlier, uh, my but friend. But listen. Um, let me just, uh, on the tail end of this uh, message, <laughs> let me just say uh, that I am very happy and very grateful to your owner. Oh, my ding, God. Ding, ding, ding. This is a winner so for me. so great. Isn't this great? I mean, here's where he lost me. Okay. At the tail end, so to speak. But here's where he lost me. So I'm going to just that's press where he got pause. Me. Okay, go I'm going to press pause oh. on that. And I said that with a New York, New Jersey accent. Um, abominable. Abominable. That's good. I like it. Um, he lost me, of course, by praising Hillary. Because that gets you nowhere. In yeah, my that's book. that's kind of a downer. That gets you in the doghouse. <laughs> I like that he compared. It's kind of pro- funny because it's it's a little problematic to name someone af- a dog after Hillary Clinton for most people. Right. Um, although I get it because you know I'm a dog person. And uh, yeah, he fell off a little bit. And he was kind of like phoning it in and at the end. But I, I did really like it. Yeah. So the mighty uh, warrior for justice yeah. HRC thing. Okay. That that's a no, da- that's like if it. I were, if I were high, that would sober me up immediately. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I'd claw. Uh, that's a claw. I takes my claw. Get my claws out on that one. Right. But I like the fact that he went right to the edge of when it was corny and then just went beyond it like a hundred yards. Yeah. You know, like with the with the extra puns. Yeah. You know, like your bark is 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 not as I bad know. as your bite and you bite treats and yeah. dog eat dog and you're that a hot good. dog. Dog and, dog world, yeah. and so I'm, I'm all for like this is oh i didn't i missed the hot dog 
you missed the hot dog. I mean, he, he was, was so dogged in his delivery. Yeah, you know, uh, at the tail end, you know, so great, yeah, fantastic. So I, I love, I love that one. Wagging I think that's, the dog. Yeah, this is a sort of Harold and Cory Booker go to Howell. White Castle moment. Howell and Cory Booker. Um, we got a couple more quick ones. Uh, let's go to with uh, Biden. The mistakes I make are mistakes. <laughs> so great, so great. But apparently, people will say occasionally, "Picton, I'm tired. I'm gonna go. I'll say, um, uh, uh, and I'll find myself searching for a second. Look, the mistakes I make are mistakes." So, so Mike Allen is the the reporter here. He's been Bidenized in this. Uh, totally, he got Bidenized, right? Yeah. yeah. Although it's different because. I, Again, I don't. Look at that what face. I need to know is, yeah, his face is amazing. He's like, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Don't laugh. What I need to know is, like, is, is it different if you're a reporter doing your job and asking him questions versus a carry sitting on stage with him? Well, you have or a little bit more responsibility if you're part of his entourage, yeah, right? Right. Because the person who was posterized, I started to harp on this. Is that like that's also because is it because you failed in that yeah. basketball move? It's yeah, not yeah, just yeah. that you're in the photo, you right? Got it's that on. you got dunked on. Yeah. So I feel like this isn't Bidenized as much and I want to make a distinction. I feel like being Bidenized is when you're when it reflects poorly on you. Well, but you're but you're going to be in this clip for forever. You know, I mean, right. that, I guess you're right. There's some fault involved, but it's not always your fault when you're sitting under the basket on the break and Michael Jordan's steaming at you. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Most no, but of the you time. lost. You did like, lose. In other yeah. words, one, you're just a witness. And That's in right. the other one, you're kind of complicit. So this one, I feel like he's just complicit, Mike Allen. Now, you could argue the fact that he's not like, you need to get out of this race right away. So right, yeah. that maybe makes him a little Bidenized. But we can decide. We but can he, use he it also, that way I think he adds to the humor because he's, he's so clearly trying to keep his composure oh and not God. fucking he's burst like, out laughing in the middle of this, yeah. right? That's he's, funny. Yeah. The last uh, contestant, most stone moment, uh, we, got, we had Fartgate and we got Fatgate. Yeah, we got Fatgate. Let's go to the videotape of Let's Joe Biden. I got a question I want you to answer. We all know Trump uh, has been messing around in Ukraine over there, holding their foreign aid for them to come up, saying they're going to investigate you. We don't want to look at that. We know that, but we didn't go after that. But you, on the other hand, sent your son over there to get a job and work for a gas company that. He had no experience with gas or nothing. In order to get access to the public, for the president, so you're you're selling access to the president just like he is. So you you're a damn liar, man. That's not true, and no one has ever said that. No one has told that. I see no. it on the TV. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I, I'm not sedentary. I don't. I get up and 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 no, let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on Let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take a nice pizza. Number two. Number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. I you said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Yes. Get I your word straight, it. Jack. That's look, okay, I'm not going to get in an argument with you, man. Well, well, I don't want to But look, fat, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
Now, do you know what he's claiming, of course, is that his campaign is claiming that he said, look, facts. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on, though. Like, this is... It could have been a Freudian slip, which, I don't know, is that better or worse? It's more demented, less entitled. His thing where he turns around and walks away from you while he he composes the wrong sentence in his head is fantastic. That's like a thing with him. Yeah. And I I love the... This thing? Where he, he pops the collar up. That's great. The whole thing, you know, let's do some push-ups like you're sedentary. You're sedentary. I mean, no, he's totally fat shaming the guy. It's it's a it, it feels like a Will Ferrell routine, but like age advanced, right? You know, I'm not gonna get into it with you, man. Oh yeah, right? I thought, yeah. All right, man. Yeah, J- listen, Jack. What did you call him, Jack? Hey, Jack. Hey, fat. I know. Hey, fat. <laughs> we Jack. Call each other fat. I know. Hey, fat. Hey, listen, fat. fat. We should <laughs> fat. do that with guests too. Listen, well, fat. So is that person Bidenized or not? Did he get Bidenized? I think so. Really? Yeah. See, I really, I think we're going to have to become fault. a, yeah, so I mean. O- only Carrie got Bidenized. As, yeah, I would say all the things we saw today, only Carrie was Bidenized. Okay. I all don't right. think he got Bidenized. I think maybe Simone Sanders got Bidenized when she had to pretend that he said it was, that he was saying facts, not fat. Right. Yeah. Do we have that tweet that she said? Any assertion VP Biden said a word about the gentleman's appearance is making this something it is not. In the latter part of the exchange, the VP began to say, look, facts. Then said, here's the deal. If you've been to a Biden event, you've heard this before. Okay. Could be. Anyway, I think all of those are good candidates. For most stone, stone I mean, moment, but yeah. the, the, Biden is clearly the most stone candidate all of all of them. You, and that's why he's against legalizing it. Right. Because it's like overcompensating. He wants it all to himself. Yeah, he wants it all to himself, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So just to be, to be clear, we're going to have a, we're, we're going to do this in a couple places. This this list is going to live online, but yeah. but I'm gonna, we're going to put it out on Twitter. Yeah. There's going to be a poll. We want people to vote yeah. on which of these moments is more stone than the other. Yeah. And eventually what's going to happen yeah. is we're going to have a list and these, the, it's going to be a running list of what the worst is yeah. uh, throughout the campaign. Yeah. So uh, take a look at Twitter. Follow us. KT Helps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. And uh, at MTAUB. All right. We have a great segment now. We're going to talk to uh, Jen Kuger. Yeah. We're going to talk about his campaign. He's a progressive media figure. He's kind of a pioneering entrepreneur in media as well. So we got a lot of, a lot of cool stuff to talk to him about. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey, How Jen. Doing? How's it going? Rock and roll. Rock and roll. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. We do have a litmus test here at Useful Idiots. Uh, some people are, pr- are critical of that. They don't like it when progressives have u- uh, litmus tests. They think that it's purity politics, but we just embrace it. And we, we do need to know where you fall on certain issues like Fartgate. Are you aware of Fartgate? Did you, were you up, yes. caught up with the scandal? Okay. The president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard- It's one of the pressing issues of our time. It is, yeah. It's <laughs> there one we of go, the, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Where do you fall? Who dealt it? Was it Chris Matthews or was it Eric Swalwell? Well, that's funny you say that because uh, in the post game, we analyzed it like it was a Zapruder film. Right, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, exactly, and, yeah. Uh, and the noise came from down into the left. <laughs> so it must have been Swalwell. Uh, huh, I'm glad we're starting with the hard-hitting issues. Yeah. Um, so yes, it, it was clearly Swalwell. I wow. disagree, but because you and you and a lot of politicians won't go there, physiologically or metaphorically. And since you did that, and you were so with so much conviction and honesty, I you passed my uh, litmus test. No, I think he, he met it head on. Yeah, so. head on. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. And uh, look, uh, passing litmus tests since 2002. Uh, but I'll tell you, though, I don't know if you guys saw Swalwell uh, in the hearings the other day. He did light it up, if you, if you will. He let it rip? Yeah, yeah. No, he was excellent. It was like 
Because Swalwell, you know, sometimes he's really good and sometimes he's a little bit more corporate. Uh, but in the hearings, he was fantastic, like showing it was definitely Trump. He definitely did it. And and he, he did a great job with the Democratic Council, but also ripped into the Republican Council in a way that was fun. We just showed it on the show yesterday. Hmm. Let's uh, go back in time a little bit because I think your background in media, there's, there's some stuff we want to talk about there and your whole approach to that. Can you talk about how you came to to start the Young Turks and what some of the thinking was, what your experiences in media were before that that led you to make that decision? And we'll work forward from there. Look, I, I've got a passion for um, issues and for politics. I remember when I was a kid, I um, on Saturday mornings I'd watch uh, wrestling. It was called WWF back then. Uh, I'd watch the Super Friends uh, and McLaughlin Report. So uh, since I was 10 or 12 years old, I don't remember the exact age, I was going, Fred the Beetleborns! Wrong! <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I lo- I've loved politics forever. So we started Young Turks back in 2002. Uh, we named it Young Turks because it's young progressives looking to overthrow an established system, which is exactly what we are. Uh, it means it a nearly perfect political definition. Uh, and uh, it was me, Ben Mankiewicz, Dave Kohler that originally started it. Uh, and uh, Ben still comes on the show. We still do segments together. Dave still works at TYT. Uh, and uh, we've been fighting for progressives for all that time. I mean, we started in my living room. We had nothing. We had no money, no infrastructure, no hope. And once we started doing online video in 05, uh, the audience basically picked us up out of nowhere and elevated us. They had thousands of shows to, to choose from. They chose us because uh, no one else covers progressives positively. Certainly back then, and unfortunately still today in the mainstream media. Um, and and honestly, even the mainstream media has alternative facts. So we give the real facts yeah. about Medicare for all, climate change. People often go, oh my God, I, I didn't know there was more of us. Yes, that. And so that's how we got to be what we are. Right. I mean, there was a market demand that was growing, right, because I think people were beginning to tune into the fact that they were only getting they were getting a kind of a sanitized view of the world, no matter, no matter what they tuned into, whether it was Fox or MSNBC or whatever, or whatever it was. And I, I, your show was really one of the first. I mean, it was in some ways it was a, almost like a precursor to the Sanders movement. Right. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was responding to something that wasn't being addressed yeah. uh, in in regular media is that right yeah so in fact a a viewer of ours found a a video of me saying in 2013 uh senator sanders is thinking of running uh, for president and he would take on hillary clinton in the in 2016 uh primaries uh and i'm here to tell you that he can win wow so i i said that back in 2013 i said look she needs a progressive challenger and uh two out of three people i mentioned were bernie sanders and elizabeth warren wow uh, and uh, and Bernie's thinking of doing it, and he should definitely do it, and she could definitely be beat. And I and so that goes, Matt, exactly to what we were talking about before, which is the alternative facts to the mainstream media. They were saying at the time that's impossible. No one could challenge Hillary Clinton from the left and win in a primary. And I'm like, wait, like, are you guys serious? We just saw it happen in 2008. Right. So right. Yeah. Right. It's absolutely insane to say that she could not be beat from the left. Right. And that's what everybody's saying. And you know, that has a giant uh, effect. Yeah. So what that does is it produces wall-to-wall coverage of someone who is the so-called presumptive nominee. And and I think the mainstream media can rig an election yeah. 
better than any Russian, better than James Comey, better than anyone else, okay? And they did. They kept saying that she's the nominee, she's the nominee. And unfortunately, there's one other thing about politics is that when people think uh, you're the one more likely to win, they're more likely to vote for you, even though that doesn't make much sense within a primary. And so it was a huge advantage she had. So not only did we cover progressives in a positive way that no one else does, but we were also right about the facts. Right. Can you can you lay out a little bit more how, um, more specifically, the media bias or the media narrative shapes reality, right? So you said when people hear that someone's more viable or they're going to win it, even though you could say, well, what the hell, I'm going to go vote for this underdog in the primary. They don't do that, right? What, what, how does that work? Yeah, so let me give you two examples. One is a local example I'm living through now, and the other is a national example. Uh, so, as you guys know, I'm running for Congress uh, in 25th District. That's Katie Hill's old seat, jank2020.com to support me. I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying. What's happening here is my opponent is a very establishment candidate, handpicked by the Democratic Party in California. And they literally brag about it on Twitter. They say, We handpicked her. Okay. Well, that must be nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's how elections work, but okay. And so, you know, the media was in the middle of declaring her the you know, the presumptive nominee, if you will, right? Where have, seen, where have I seen that movie before? Right. I then went on and, and asked the reporters and the talk show hosts, et cetera. I said, you know, look, what's the one metric that the uh, establishment used the most and the media used the most? Who's raised the most money, right? They're obsessed with it. I think it's the wrong metric. I don't think they should use that metric at all. But it appears, for the moment being, I raised more money than her. Huh. So I guess I'm the presumptive nominee. So my question is, should she get out of the race? Right. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, volunteers, <laughs> it's not even close. We're near 2,000 volunteers. And then I, I flip it on the media and I go, so you tell me, you know, who's the presumptive nominee? Who's the leading Democrat in the race? By all of those metrics, it's clearly me. But I tell you that story because until you frame it that way, mm. the media always assumes that whoever the powerful and whoever the elite have picked is the person that should win. Right. Well, that's and, the uh, that's right. the invisible primary yeah. uh, rationale, right? right? I mean, we we, always, we get that at the beginning of every campaign season. It's whoever gets the, the endorsements lined up, whoever gets the major donors lined up. And it's almost like there's a memo that's sent out to all the reporters who cover campaigns that this is the person who's already kind of won this part of the process, right? So we, we heard it was Jeb Bush in, in uh, 2016, and you know Hillary obviously won. Right. Uh, but it, that happens in congressional races, too. It, it's amazing how it works. And I don't blame the Democratic Party operatives, that's kind of their, their job, job right? political operatives. And so they are guided by things like Dianne Feinstein endorsing my opponent. Uh, right. I, I love Dianne Feinstein opposing, uh, opposing. Yeah, I know. Great endorsement for you. Yeah. If she endorsed me, I'd be like, whoa, what right. did I do wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do some soul searching. Yeah. Yeah. And so on the other hand, the media is supposed to be the watchdogs. Right. So, you know, what's also amazing, so, guys, is that the rest of the candidates in this election, both Democrats and Republicans, look like they're running from the media. They, they barely do any interviews at all. And a lot of the reporters I talk to complain that they won't do interviews. Mm. But it's like um, almost like an abuse wife syndrome. The establishment is like, I am entitled to this seat and I have been handpicked. And that's why I won't even answer any questions. And the media is like, oh, you're right. You're the presumptive nominee. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. And if you're an insurgent challenger, they then they're like, oh, no holds barred. Okay, now now I get to pretend to be a journalist. So now I'll ask you every dirty question that their Oppo research team 
gave me to ask you, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right. By the way, and, and to be fair, I don't mind that at all, as long as you're even handed right. and, and actually ask tough questions of our opponents too. Yeah, we saw the the, the Daily Beast did a, a friendly on feature you. on you yeah. already. I mean, what's that process been like? Obviously, they're they're going through some things in your in your past. Has that been a new experience for you? I mean, obviously, you've been a public figure for a long time, but this is different. Yeah. No, it's not a new experience for me. Uh, maybe the the severity of it is, but even that is barely. So, uh, look, they made a mistake. Uh, they started a fight with a fighter. <laughs> so, come and get some. First of all, uh, the old blogs that they're criticizing me for when I wrote when I, back when I was a Republican, uh, the first people to unearth that was the alt-right, literally. And so that's when I co-founded Just Democrats. They found those old blogs, and they right. did that to try to divide us. And they found them in the Wayback Machine. So what does that mean for po- folks who don't yeah. know? That, that means, means you were hacked like Joy Reid. <laughs> See, no, I, I'm not a normal greasy politician, right. so I'm totally honest about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But what happened was I, I deleted them 15 years ago. Uh, not when I got caught. I didn't get yeah. caught at all. Uh, no one had ever noticed them. I deleted them because I was like, oh, that's terrible. I don't believe yeah. it at all anymore, yeah. right? And and the Wayback Machine is, takes and finds things that you deleted and goes, I don't care that you deleted them. Uh, so now the right wing and, and the Democratic Party operatives have united in their hatred of me, which uh, in FDR style, I welcome. Yeah. So the right wing blogs and uh, the Democratic uh, Party guys are all putting out the same talking points against me that are super old. Yes. Wait, doesn't that mean, though, that these people are using right wing talking points, which is something they always I hate accuse? It when they, when, yeah. I know, but I'm yeah. just saying that because that's I think it's such a ridiculous argument. People will say that, like, if Bernie's against the TPP, Oh, wow. You know who else is against the TPP? Trump. That's a Trumpian talking point. That's a Trumpian view. So I just those the same people who always use that should be ashamed. They're using um, right wing talking points against you if they're bringing those things up. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. But yes, I hear you. But some of the the attacks uh, are on things like Red State, which is a right wing. Yeah, exactly website not to be flippant about this but you know mike bloomberg has jumped into the presidential race and there's been you know a lot of controversy about he's a media owner and he's running Mm. for president and and, you know there's some tension there you know much it's a smaller scale but it's a similar situation with you i mean what what went through your head when you decided to enter politics and how have you been balancing the you know the tension there what do you are there any ethical issues that you've worked through we thought about it very carefully and we've taken a lot of precautions so uh i'm still on the show but i we're not allowed to talk about my race at all on the show so ironically i'm talking about it more with you guys than i would on the young terms i am allowed to go on as a guest from time to time when we have uh news events etc related to the campaign just like any progressive candidate could and we have, you know, we had AOC on Young Turks 34 times before her primary win. So I guess I, I've i done one appearance as a candidate so far. So I got 33 right. to go if we're going to right. treat me on an equal footing. And I've given over editorial control to Anna for the flagship show, The Young Turks, for the TYT network. Uh, and, and we've told our reporters, you are allowed to cover the campaign uh, and you're definitely allowed to cover it negatively. So you cover it any way you like. I mean, I'm super proud of our very, very independent, strong-minded reporters at TYT Investigates that have broken some wonderful stories. So they're free to investigate anyone they like. So unlike Mike Mike Bloomberg, if one of your people decided to just sort of kick you in the balls uh, at at the Young Turks, that'd be fine. That'd be fine, right? They're allowed to do that? 
Okay. Yeah. He, he welcomes their ball kicks. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. They're, right. they're pretty tough on folks. So, right. uh, but yes, uh, we're uh, independent media, so no holds barred. What do you think about how Bloomberg uh, has handled that and, and what that says about the Bloomberg network? Yeah. So I hear you, Matt. And, and so I do have a little bit of uh, empathy here because I'm in a similar sure. spot. And, and I know that uh, having talked to uh, all of our lawyers repeatedly about it to make sure that we're doing the right thing and then having gone way beyond that, just to be sure not we're not only legally compliant, but ethically uh, doing the right thing. I, I know that those are tough conversations and, and not easy to find where the guardrails should be. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I he's got we've got a couple of reporters. Uh, he's got twenty seven hundred, as you pointed out. I think it's tough to ask them to not cover the campaigns. I think he'd be better served if he just said, cover me any way you like, positive, negative, neutral, it doesn't matter. Well, there's also an honesty, right? Because I think it's more honest to just own or be upfront about your ideological view than yep. it is to pretend that you're objective, right? So the Young Turks, I mean, you, there's certain things that you don't all align on every issue. But in general, you have a progressive outlook. So. I don't think it's the same conflict of interest as it is with Bloomberg News, right, where you're, in theory, these people claim to be objective. So that's the real, I think, danger. Yeah, well, that's definitely a factor. Uh, look, I encourage everybody to be, to be upfront about their perspective, right. but I know it's tougher for the mainstream media because they would have to admit, yeah, we have an establishment pro-status quo perspective, and we'd like to acknowledge that for our, so our readers know where we're coming from. Yeah. Now, that's true, and they're never going to say right, that. Right, exactly, yeah. Well, Whereas we just say, yeah, TYT is home of progressives. Yeah. So we cover progressive candidates a million times more than we cover establishment candidates. But the establishment candidates have all the mainstream media on their yeah. side and they have all the corporate money. So why don't you just go with your corporate buddies? Right. Right. And and whereas progressives have almost no outlets. So that's why we do TYT so that they do have an outlet. I was watching your video about uh, when you were kind of announced you were handing the editorial reins over to Anna Kasparian. Anna's been the executive producer of the show for uh, about a year now. So uh, in the old days, I was the executive producer. So what that means is uh, story selection. What stories are we doing? What order are we doing them? How are we doing them? So it, it was not a big change. Uh, right. the, the only difference is, and since Anna was producing the show and making all those decisions anyway, uh, right now, the di the main difference is um, I don't even participate. Right. Right. So they pick any story and they put it in any order. And, you know, I'm just a regular old, old uh, schmuck host right. who shows up and does the news. In the documentary, uh, you and I were both in uh, All Governments Lie, excellent film. You talked about something that very rarely do you hear talked about uh, in media, which is the tension between retaining audience and pursuing a business. You talked about the experience of uh, TYT. You, you got a lot of audience after the 2008 election because of the Obama fans. And then when you turned around to, to cover Obama aggressively, you were faced with having to lose audience. Can you talk a little bit about the tension of, between trying to maintain a business uh, and trying to be responsible in journalism? Because sometimes the, the incentives don't align uh, align very well. Yeah, so um, th there's two different aspects of this that, that I think are really interesting that I want to talk to you guys about. One is, it's a great question too, Matt. 
Uh, one is at the national level, uh, the way that they make most of their money is advertising on cable news. Although now for uh, Fox News, I think they make more from the cable fees. But uh, overall, they care a lot about uh, advertising. It's a big part of their revenue. And so what does that lead to? The advertisers want you to be neutral. And so, uh, and you also have to be worried about ratings. So the, what does that lead to? At least uh, the news organizations saying we don't want to alienate our Republican viewers and we don't want to lose our advertisers who want us to be neutral. So let's do political correctness and let's not tell people what the reality is. So for example, obstruction. They say Republicans obstruct when they're in the minority, Democrats obstruct when they're in the minority. Yes, generally true, but then you should break down the context and show people that when Mitch McConnell was in the minority in the Senate, he broke every record there was on filibusters. The Republicans obstruct significantly more than Democrats. That's a fact. And But mainstream media will not tell you that fact, partly because they're worried about alienating Republican viewers, readers, etc., and advertisers. So their business interests override their journalistic uh, ethics, and they call things even and neutral as a favor to the Republican Party when they are not, in fact, neutral. So I can give you dozens, maybe hundreds of examples of that. So I think it's a huge problem with their business model. Okay, now it's also online, it, it is also seductive to play into not advertisers, but into your subscribers. For us at TYT, we're really, really cognizant of that and have been throughout. So the example you brought up, Matt, uh, when Obama got into office, almost all of our subscribers were ecstatic, right? We defeated McCain, the Bush, the dark years of the Bush era are over, and here comes Obama, and he ran as a progressive, and he ran to the left of Hillary Clinton, change hope, etc. Then he starts making decisions that are pro-corporate, and so um, he started drilling in the Gulf. And, and I went on air, and I said, that's a really bad idea. You shouldn't be drilling in the Gulf. Uh, and that, among other things, led to us losing a good chunk of our subscribers. They're like, how dare you? You're betraying Obama. And I said, look, I'm criticizing him from the left, and I'm criticizing him with facts. It's all the difference in the world between that and some idiot right winger on Fox News coming in saying he puts mustard on his burger, he wears a tan suit. He was born in Kenya. Yeah, the great Poupon. That was a great moment. Yeah. yeah, And I told everybody at the company, no, no, uh, we're going to withstand the storm. And, and as you guys know, through those 18 years, there's been a lot of storms. And, and we're going to do the right thing. We're going to give people uh, what we actually think, uh, whether, even if it costs us money. Do you feel like there was this um, kind of shift in 2016 around, um, I guess it was there in 20, 2008 too, but this, this shift between people who you kind of thought of as progressive and then you realize maybe weren't that progressive. Like people who said that they were progressive and then a progressive guy came along who actually wasn't a, a hopeless, helpless candidate, but actually had a chance, right? It was like a dividing line and some people supported him and those were the progressive and the other people didn't. And in the past you could get it, you'd be like, okay, I get it, the guy has no chance. So maybe you like his ideas, but it's, it's, it's not gonna work out. Whereas now it kind of was viable. Did it, did it surprise you, the different ways that people went? Yeah, I, I have to be honest, it really surprised me. And it was uh, pretty disappointing in, in a lot of levels. So folks uh, who were with us for a long time, um, and you guys know some of those names, and they wrote uh, progressive blogs, they fought a good fight against Bush. Yeah, right, yeah. 
and and then for them to turn around and say not just hey i think hillary is more realistic or uh whatever no but to actively massively fight bernie sanders and smear yeah not just him but all of his voters and 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 then progressive policies right wait so you never believed in any right, of that right exactly right so so wait, I, I thought we were for single payer, and it turns out no, you're not for single payer. And I don't. And the thing that always perplexed me the most is when they basically, I mean, they wouldn't do it so literally, but through all of their actions, supported corporate donors and politicians who take money from corporate interests. I'm like, no, no. Then okay, fine. It's okay. You're not a progressive. Yeah, right. You're something else. You, I'm not kicking you out of the Democratic Party. I don't have a right to. But what's interesting is we're so popular, meaning progressives, that they still don't want to let go of the title. Right. So they're like, oh no, 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 no. I'm a progressive. You don't get to not call me a progressive just because I support the candidate taking yeah. millions, millions of dollars from corporations and serving only their interests. Yeah, actually, I do kind of get to right. call you not a progressive. Well, they also want to keep calling themselves progressives because if they don't, then they're going to have to admit that they were full of it or that they are corporate or that they have bad politics or that like one person's identity was more important than the lives of countless powerful people, right? That's always a fun game to play. It's like, do you have some pathological uh, identification with Hillary Clinton and some pathological hatred of Sanders? Or do you actually like one's policies more than the others? Yeah, you know, I think Peter Dow is a really interesting case. Yeah. Because, because he drank the Kool-Aid, right, back then. Yeah. Uh, and got so into that rabbit hole that he convinced himself that he was on the right side. Yeah. And then once the, the long national nightmare of that campaign was over, Peter kind of woke up and was like, damn it, what the hell did I just do, right? right? And and so I had him on the Young Turks, uh, and yeah, I know, he's fully Bernie now. I yeah. mean, he was the most adamant Hillary defender, and and it seems like a full mea culpa uh, saying, I was wrong, uh, we should have yeah. gone for progressives, yeah. we should have gone for Bernie. I like the argument that people make that, like, well, um, they don't ever say it, but basically the takeaway is um, I was for single payer and um, raising the minimum wage and then a random um, anonymous person online was mean to me and now I don't like those things. Which is like basically what people are saying when they can't point to anything but the bros online, um, which is still a thing. I mean, it's still a narrative out there and you never hear about the bros who are supporting the other candidates or the sexist, racist attacks on Sanders supporters that still happen. I mean, so let's take a funny example. So I, I like Elizabeth Warren a lot. At, yeah. at the end of the day, I, I endorse Bernie Sanders because he's a legend and he's and he's the right candidate. Yeah. Um, but but I do like Warren a lot. And uh, and so sometimes people get frustrated at me. And they're like, stop complimenting her. And then they give me like, oh, you're a shell yeah, and you're stupid. corporate this, whatever. And, you know, tons of insults. But this time from the left, which doesn't often happen, right? You can imagine if... I was like, oh, yeah, you insulted me. So now I'm against Medicare for all. Yeah. I'm not going to change my policy uh, stances based on people insulting me. Right. On it's so it's so embarrassing. Yeah. So 2016 was like the archetypal like Democratic Party disaster. Right. They, they lost basically an unlosable election. It feels to me like there's elements of the same mistakes that are coming into play as we had, you know, turned the corner into the primary season. How do you see this? playing out. I mean, Bernie's in a strong position, certainly, but are you sensing some of the same problems as last time uh, heading into this primary season? No, I think that there's, we might actually be getting lucky. Hmm. Uh, so 
first, let me explain the, the stakes here. This election, this, these set of elections in 2020, I would argue including mine, but obviously on a much smaller scale than Bernie, um, they're everything. Uh, if progressives win, oh my God, we've got the White House. And, and if another wave of just Democrats win, we're, we wouldn't be in charge. I, wouldn't def, I definitely wouldn't go that far, okay? But my God, we have, as I said on the night of the election on 2016, we have boarded the aircraft carrier and, and we've at least got the captain, right? And so, and, and so that's and all the difference in the world. On the other hand, if we lose and you get Biden or Buttigieg, there's mm -hmm. no hope. You've lost four to eight years You've dispirited all the young progressives who thought maybe we could make a difference. A corporation still rule us all, and we and we continue to create situations that were so toxic that they led to a right-wing populist like Donald Trump uh, winning. The media always says, "Oh, most important election of your lifetime," and I was like, "Really? Like Clinton versus Dole? They right. agreed on like eighty percent of issues." I no, that was not the most important election. Honestly, Obama versus Romney. Obamacare was Romneycare. Right. Uh, they, they agreed on at least 70% of issues. Uh, and so those were not, this is the most important election of our lifetimes, bar none. It will never get more important than this. It's the worst of the worst than Donald Trump in the general election. If he wins, I genuinely believe we head towards fascism and our democracy is in actual peril. Uh, and in the uh, primaries, you have establishment versus progressives title fight round two and so we've got to win now why do i say i think we're in good shape and we might be getting lucky well a couple of things happen one these uh, democratic party operatives here we go again in california uh think they're so smart when they're not remotely smart so they're like oh we'll move the california primary up to give kamala harris an advantage because kamala harris it will be the establishment candidate and that way she'll be able to defeat bernie sanders Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who's leading in California yeah. now? Bernie Sanders. Well played, party operative. Yeah. And the other way that we got lucky is the press stopped paying attention to Bernie. Uh, they were, I mean, you know, wall-to-wall -wall critiques, criticisms, attacks, uh, last time, this time. After the heart attack, they thought... Mm. Oh, it's over. Uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's over, over, over. No way it's going to be Bernie. Right. And so we don't have to pick on him anymore. That's right. And they left him alone. And they went and go, talked about the other candidates. And, you know, they're really not back yet. Like, they're begin like, they're like, they can't believe their lying eyes. They keep looking at the poll numbers. They're like, he appears to be in second nationally and closing on Biden quickly. He appears to be number one in New Hampshire, he appears to be number two in Iowa, number two in Nevada, number one in California, but it's Bernie and everyone I know knows Bernie's not gonna win. Ah, we don't have to worry about him. But is there a danger of just not covering him? for? So like I get that, yeah, they're not smearing him as much maybe, but isn't just the fact that it's not, Bernie's in second place creeping, you know, about to beat Biden, is that, that there's a Bernie blackout, right? Yeah, so now Dave Sirota works for Bernie, yeah. but his tweets are amazing. Yeah. Because he'll show, this has happened dozens of times already. They'll be like, uh, Biden, hold on to the lead in number one, and here comes Buttigieg, uh, number five. 17,000, yeah. A lot of times, Bernie will be number one in yeah. a poll. And they'll be like, Biden slips to number two, but here comes Warren. And remember, I like Warren. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah. number one. Yeah. No, they're amazing. They're amazing. So look, Nate Silver is a great example of it. Like the guy's job is numbers, strictly numbers. Like who cares about anything but numbers yeah. when you're the stats guy, right? And he'll look at the numbers and go, nope, I don't believe them. Right. He did it with Trump and he's doing it with Bernie. He did it with Bernie last time. He's doing it again. He did the big mea culpa on, oh, I should have known better with Trump, blah, 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 blah. And then he's right back at it because he loves the establishment. So whenever he sees a number uh, that's good for Buttigieg, Biden, whatever, he's like, oh, my God, big numbers, shock pull, whatever. I'm exaggerating. Wait, so how do we combat that? And is that does that have a because you're being optimistic and you're saying we may be lucky. Um, but how do we make sure that the media blackout of Sanders doesn't um, influence people and influence voters? Because as you said earlier, these things can shape the way people vote and see things, which is so scary. Yeah, and look, I'm doing the best I can. Like, if all I cared about was my business interests, I wouldn't want CNN or MSNBC to have any progressives on. Like, leave the whole market to us. Bless your heart. From a business perspective, yeah, we'll take 60% of the uh, country. Thank you very much, right? But um, nonetheless, I don't do that. Uh, and in a lot of different ways through myself and allies, putting pressure on at least cable news guys, Uh to go, hey, listen, guys, you're obviously biased, and there's no way that you could deny it. Because, I mean, Jake Tapper the other day had Mehdi Hassan on, and he literally said, now, Mehdi, we don't normally have progressives on, but you're here, so right. let me ask you about the progressive candidates. Right. <laughs> Jake, hello, look at what you just said, right? I'm paraphrasing, but that's uh, literally what he said. Okay, so, but on the other hand, we broke through on Cuomo's show, and Chris Cuomo does a great job of being open-minded and has a lot of progressives on. So it's not just Young Turks hosts. He's got Alexandra Rojas and, and, and others on the, in a fairly regular rotation. And so, and, and and obviously it's working well for him because, hey, it turns out if you were, you know, also give voice to a huge percentage of the population, even if you underestimate progressives and say we're only 25% of the country, that's still a huge chunk and no one else has them on. So it's working well for Cuomo and hopefully it'll work well for others and be an example. But at MSNBC too, what, look, I just did an interview with a Hollywood reporter and I told him, I, I, I don't want to meet Johnny come lately. If Bernie wins the presidency, then MSNBC turns around and stacks their, you know, a quarter of their lineup with progressives so that they could kiss up to power and try to get access. No, no deal. That doesn't count. Okay, sure, do it, fine. But you get no progressive credentials for that because this is when it matters. After we've already won, it's not anywhere near as important. On the other hand, I, I told the reporter, I'm rooting for MSNBC. So you got a year left here, basically. Put some progressives on air right now, right now. And if you don't do it, then you got no right to complain. You are definitely biased. So look, right now, I mean, can. I think MSNBC is probably the most anti-Bernie channel there is, and they're supposed to, and they're and they're considered by Washington the most left-leaning channel. But when I was on MSNBC, what did I do? I had non-stop progressives on. Yeah. Right. Matt was on. You were on. Sirota was yeah. on. Everybody was on. And and so and then when you know when I left because they said we don't want that. <laughs> we want you to be an insider. And I left. And then what did they do? And then the progressive guests stop, and it's wall to wall. Bernie Sanders wants to uh, ma makes me want to vomit. Makes my skin crawl. Jake, you have a very, obviously you have a very entrepreneurial side of your personality. Uh, apart from the politics, 
was the inability of stations like MSNBC and to a lesser extent CNN to properly understand the breadth of the progressive audience. Did you see that as a business opportunity as well as a political opportunity? In other words, like, you know, from the perspective of someone in the press all those years, I mean, I'm not a businessman, so I never thought this way, but did you think, my God, they're just overlooking this huge audience. There's money to be made there, Uh, you know. So, Matt, great question. Uh, I'd love to take credit for being a really shrewd businessman and seeing that opportunity. Uh, But the reality is we got a little lucky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, when we started out as progressives, we started the show in 2002. It was uh, not a good business opportunity. (laughs) Okay, So we would go to uh, radio station after radio station locally and they would all say, hey, listen, you guys have a good show. I, I listened to it. It was really fun and entertaining and smart. But no. Okay, why not? Because we do conservative programming on our station. Mm. So, and there are no liberal stations in our market. So you literally have no chance of making it on the air, no matter how good your show is. Because like it would be counter programming, and I don't want to do counter programming. My guys, my audience listens to Rush, likes Rush and Hannity and those guys. So we're just never going to have you on. Um, now the internet changed all that. So we took away the gatekeepers. And then, arguably, it became a great business opportunity. But even that took a long, long time, and it's still not there. So the the reason is because there was no infrastructure built on the internet. So I, I, I talk in uh, in media circles, in political circles. I also talk in business circles. I give speeches about this, and and I go to conferences, etc. And I explain to people one of the problems is there's no advertising infrastructure. To this day, we have trouble putting ads into a live stream. But if you can't do that, well, then you, it's super hard to sustain a business where you are doing progressive media because you have very little revenue. That's why we came up with a subscription model, which we did all the way back in 2005. It's possible that we literally invented the freemium model, where we said most of the stuff is free, but if you want a little extra, that's premium, so uh, become a Young Turks member. So right now, Yes, it's a great business opportunity, and that's why soon you'll see a lot of scammers come in and pretend to be progressive. I mean, countdown to that happening in in, in a matter of months. Yeah. Right. Okay? Well, that's uh, what we are. That's what we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, but still the infrastructure on the internet is brutal uh, from a business perspective. The fact that you've been able to survive for 18 years is a testament to our management team, to all the people who work there so hard. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> now now that I'm being a politician, I, I think I'm allowed to brag more, although I think it was all right on that count anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I got to say, I think I did an okay job yeah. of keeping us in business for 18 years. Yeah, as a follow-up to that, obviously the the press has been in this, just overall, even even the corporate press, has been steadily squeezed for decades now. I mean, dating back to the 80s, you started to see, you know, because of things like uh, the internet um, classifieds, newspapers were losing their their want ad sections, uh, and they were, they first they got rid of investigative reporting, then they got rid of fact checkers, they're cutting costs everywhere, the uh, investigative journalism is being kind of pushed out. You're in this business, what, what is the future of trying to fund in-depth reporting, you know, as opposed to, you know, clickbait, podcast, all, all that kind of stuff, which is easier to, to monetize? Is there a way to, to make that profitable? 
Honestly, Matt, it is super hard. Maybe the hardest part of media. Uh, because in the old days, uh, you had investigative reporting because the newspaper made money uh, from the classifieds, from all the ads that were in there, uh, and all that has been completely decimated. So you're just down to a little bit of advertising left and mainly subscription. So that's why the New York Times does well, um, but you know the local papers and the, and the other outlets have real giant difficulties. And if so, the way you monetize online is you put up, especially if it's an article, you put up an article, the CPMs, meaning the rate that you get paid by advertisers are lower for text than they are for video. Hmm. And now the banner ads, when uh, like, let's say about a decade ago, for a text article were about $30, meaning for every thousand people who clicked on that link, you'd get $30. Now they're down to $1. Wow. So no one can survive in that environment. That's why when we, we went to hire investigative reporters at TYT, we asked the audience for funding because I said we literally can't fund it any other way. And they were wonderful. They gave us $2 million. We hired a number of investigative reporters, contributors, uh, some of whom are still with us now almost three years later. Now we've – keeping it real, I just saw the numbers. We've lost money on it. But – there's nothing you could do. It's super hard to make money. Even past the $2 million, we've lost money on it, right? Uh, but we still keep it going because they're doing amazing work and they're bringing great stories and I want people to know them. But if, like, that's why I plug the tyt.com slash join because if you don't have subscribers, you can't stay in business. And it's, it's everything. Um, I want to know about um, your experience at MSNBC, how you saw the media bias from that end as someone who was working there, why you had to leave, what kind of pressure there was. Maybe it wasn't even bias or just bad incentives, too. I mean, look, there's that oh. also, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, uh, for those who haven't heard the story, um, Phil Griffin, who uh, ran MSNBC at the time and still runs it today, was, I guess, maybe to his credit, super frank with me. Uh, he sat me down and he said, I was just in Washington and uh, they're not happy with your tone. Now, he never clarified who in Washington, but I mean, that's a hell of a thing to say to a host. Uh, and then he said, um, outsiders are cool. They wear leather jackets and ride motorcycles, uh, but we're not outsiders. We're NBC. We're insiders. And you got to start acting like it. And I, I mean, I couldn't believe that he was saying it so matter of factly. Yeah. Because I thought it would be subtle. I thought right. the pressure would be like, hey, like one of my producers used to say, hey, drink, Jenk, remember who the home team is, right? Now, he was a good guy, but, you know, it was top down and that's what he was being told. And that was his way of being subtle. Like, remember the Democratic right. Party, not don't progressives go. are the home right. team. So don't be go far. Don't do be too harsh on Obama was what yeah. he was saying. Or and, and look, you can see it. You can see it with your own eyes. They're good progressives on MSNBC and in primetime. I think Chris is a real progressive. And and Rachel, uh, you know, has done some great work uh, in her career. But how often do you see them disagreeing with the Democratic Party line? Uh, and so the other day, Lawrence uh, O'Donnell went off on Buttigieg on the issue of deficits. Uh, and and he did a great job, oh, great, and I, yeah. I commended him for that. And and that's his bailiwick. And and Lawrence gets really upset when anyone says the Republicans are better on deficits than Democrats, which I love, and he's yeah. absolutely right about that. So when Buttigieg implied that, he went off on him. But the reason why we're all talking about it is because it's the exception that proves exactly, the rule. Right. 
were like, whoa, someone on MSNBC criticized Buttigieg? Right. You, you should have gone right on to TYT and done your broadcast on a motorcycle and in yeah, a leather exactly, jacket. Yeah, exactly, in a leather jacket, yeah. <laughs> Live with a GoPro like, li- camera. Yeah, literally, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, I gotta tell you, I, I was once on a moped and that scared the hell out of me. Oh my God, I wrote, I wrote on someone's <laughs> moped once, I thought I was gonna die. Literally thought I was gonna fall off. And what about, did you have an aha moment when you decided to run? Let me start with the background, right? So uh, I'm doing this show, but in night of 2016, Trump wins. They lose an unlosable election. I say, look, we progressives have to pull up our pirate ship on the aircraft carrier of the Democratic Party, board it and take it over. So in order to effectuate that, I co-founded Just Democrats and we boarded the ship. AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna, Jayapal, et cetera, right? So Grijalva. And, uh, and so now we're on the ship, and it turns out the people we landed on the ship were the big, best fighters we've got, uh, and the most popular Democrats in the country. So part one, mission accomplished. Yeah. But even with all the, the progressives that I love in Congress and on, on the presidential uh, uh, level, still no one's really, really focusing on money and politics. So there's all the talk of like, hey, on climate change, we have to persuade more people. No, we don't. Mm. 76% of people believe in America, not in Netherlands, in America, believe climate change is real and it's man-made. Uh, it's not that we need to get to 77% or 78%. It's that it's the corruption, stupid. So as Bill Clinton used to say, it's the yeah. economy, okay, stupid. Yeah. And so it, so what are uh, campaign co- contributions from ExxonMobil? Bribes. And so I'm like, for God's sake, somebody just say it. Say it. They're bribes. Honestly, and this is part of why I like Warren, Warren came the closest. She constantly calls it corruption. And I think in one speech, she called it legalized bribes, which is what I call it on TYT all the time, right? I was like, there it is, there's one, there's one, we're on the board, right? And even Bernie, I love you, but talk more about the corruption, okay? So, um, and then meanwhile, the Katie Hill scandal happens. I defend her because, Jesus, I mean, we're we're really letting people go because of pictures? That's crazy. Now there might be other things there. We don't. I don't know what we don't know, right? The, the thruple, the thruple lobby. Thruple, yeah. Yeah. All right. Who, who cares about thruples anyway? And then Papadopoulos gets in the race, and he sends a tweet saying, uh, "You know, this race is wide open for anybody." And I was like, "Wait a minute, Papadopoulos doesn't live in that district." And I'm like, "Oh my God, you don't have to live in the district." And and I was like, "And Papadopoulos is the you know biggest clown there is." I'm like. He's not gonna he's not gonna move to that district. He doesn't care about that district. I don't know that he's ever gone to that district. Right? I'm in the district right now. Right? The minute I declared, I've been all over this district. They can't get rid of me. I've done more events than probably the rest of uh, my twelve opponents combined. Right? But but that thought did trigger for me. Like, oh wait a minute, maybe this is possible. And I live really close. I'm, so I can move to the district and boom, there we go. It's not like I got to move somewhere far. It's I'm 25 minutes from it. Uh, and in LA, that's like a minute. Right. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, then I had, then I thought for, I don't know, maybe it was four days straight. I mean, when I, what I'll do is I'll walk around the circles. I'll walk around the block. I'll walk around the house. Uh, I'll think for four hours straight. Okay. And moving piece of the puzzle together in my head and seeing, is this doable? What would, uh, can I win the race? Um, uh, who's the most important question was who else is in the race? Mm-hmm. So like some, I got asked in an interview today, why don't you go to uh, Duncan Hunter's seat? Uh, that's now open. Um, 
first of all, I don't live in San Diego and I don't want to live in San Diego. It's a perfectly lovely place, but I live in LA. Nice this zoo. is right next to me, yeah. right? Uh, and secondly, Amar Kapanichar is in that race. He's a great progressive. He was a Justice Democrat last time, doesn't take corporate PAC money. If I go against Amar, somebody like Amar Kapanichar, um, that means I'm just in it for the ego. Yeah. Right? So in, in this case, my opponent is Establishment 101. She will definitely not do Medicare for all. She, she won't do any of the progressive priorities. She will follow her orders from Nancy Pelosi and get absolutely nothing done. So then when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. Now this is real. Okay? Because this is a purple district. It's a working class district. I love that. But the reality is Democrats here are surging. And you go talk to those progressive voters and you look at the polling. They're almost all progressive. Mm. But the only reason they vote for establishment candidates is because of what we talked about earlier. The media right. and everybody in the Democratic Party goes, no, bow your head. You must vote for the establishment candidate. We handpicked her. You must vote for her, right? And they're like, okay, we're going to lose a seat. We're going to lose a seat. And they panic, right? But hey, as we talked about earlier, I guess I'm the front runner now. Combination of those things propelled me to go, I think I can make a difference here. I think I can make a difference in affecting the national conversation and in affecting real change for that district. Well, everybody else there, of course, takes corporate money. They've been this district, like every other district, has been totally screwed over by corporate power. Boeing's leaking uh, radioactive material into the water. Uh, you got private utilities that are causing the fires because they won't bury their landlines because they want to maximize profits. You got Sempra, who, who is did the Aliso uh, Canyon gas leak, the worst gas leak in American history. Uh, why maximize profit? They buy off the politicians, etc. And and so last thought on that in terms of the national conversation is, look, right now progressives are finally fighting back. It took them about what a over a year, right? Uh, and on the drug bill, they're finally going no, no, we're going to vote no, and because the drug bill is a total utter scam. It, out of the thousands of drugs that we can negotiate uh, prices on, the correct answer is negotiate prices on all of them. It's insane not to right. use the leverage of the government in when the government is buying the drugs on behalf of Medicare and Medicaid not to negotiate prices. The only reason we're having this conversation is because of crony capitalism and corruption and bribery, period, period. So anyway, they do the bill, as you guys know. They put 25 drugs in there. It's comically low. They say, don't worry, in 10 years it'll get to 35 drugs. Oh, are you not merciful? Wow. Yeah, right. See, that's not even the point of the bill. The point of the bill is to stop action on negotiating drug prices for 10 years. It's a Trojan horse. It's it's actually a giant gift to the pharmaceutical companies that give millions of dollars to corporate Democrats. Now, look, again, I love the progressives in there, and they've begun to fight on this, and they might even vote it down. But if I was in Congress, I'd go on the floor of the House and be like, Here's a list of all the money that the, my Democratic colleagues have taken from drug companies. And there is no justification for not negotiating drug prices on every single drug. So you come out here and you vote on behalf of the drug companies. Do it. I, no problem. But I'm going to let everybody know. Right. I'm going to let them know what this vote is actually about. Now, why don't people do that? Because, oh my God, our beloved colleagues, you're going to cost them their seat. Why am I going to cost them their seat? Their voters are progressive. 
even in purple districts, even in Trump districts, the reason they won is because people want Medicare for all. It polls 81% among Democratic voters, 64% among independents. So why would they lose their seat? Oh, because you'd lose your corporate contributions. You'd lose your bribes if you vote the right way. Or you vote the wrong way, you keep your contributions, but you screw over your voters. Hey, that's not my problem. Right. That's your problem. Okay? And you're not my colleague if you're against every progressive priority. What would you say there's an argument that is constantly made about that? People say, we can't eschew completely those contributions because that would be disarming in the political fight against Republicans. Right. Uh, okay, so a couple of things on that. Number one, does AOC look disarmed? Right. <laughs> okay, uh, number two, they say, wow, well, yeah, but that's a very blue district. Right, they always said that. Yeah, but... Crowley outspent her 20 to 1 in the primary, and she won anyway, so they conveniently leave that part out. Now, I'm in a purple district. If I win, that idea of, oh, you're disarming by actually not being corrupt, that's gone. It's, it's, I'm a one-man wrecking crew on the mythology that you need to be corrupt as a Democrat to win in a purple district. So I, I, I don't know any voter, and I've never met a voter, uh, who's ever said, Golly gee, if the Democrats could just be more pro-corporate, I'd vote for them. Yeah. That voter does not exist. So it's always been a lie. We're going to prove that it's a lie. But last thing on that, Matt, is, look, if you're going to, if let's say you say, I'm not going to unilaterally disarm. Okay. But then you must immediately fight with every fiber of your being for a constitutional amendment to end the private financing of elections and publicly finance all elections. Otherwise, you have no path to ever cleaning up politics. It's one thing to say, I'm going to get that amendment passed no matter what, and then we'll all stop taking money at the same right. time. It's another thing to say, well, I can't unilaterally disarm, and I'm not going to do a goddamn thing about the corruption. And why don't they do anything? Because it helps them win in primaries. So when they run against progressives, they get all the corporate money, they raise millions of dollars, and they crush progressives and go, ha, ha, oh, I didn't unilaterally. Who are they not disarming against? Not against Republicans, against progressives. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I know you've been been on a lot, but I got to ask you a question about something we disagree about. Uh, you've reported on the Steele dossier in the past. The uh, Horowitz report came out uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, pretty critical of the dossier, pretty critical of Steele, uh, who apparently heard things from sources and, you know, he, he said things that were confirmed that weren't confirmed. The P-tape story turns out to have been something that came over. It was a conversation over beers made in jest. Uh, the FBI didn't tell uh, the courts about any of this. They, the validation management unit wasn't able to corroborate any of the sort of non-public material in it. Um, any of that change your mind about the Steele dossier or any of those revelations? No, Matt, you, you might have been uh, misunderstanding what I'm saying. And that sounds like a standard way to start like, oh, no. But uh, no, I, you can see it in the videos. I'm clear as day. So first of all, I never believed in the P-tape. From day one, I was like, really? I mean, Trump's a germaphobic guy. That would be very surprising, right? Um, but do I think that some parts of the Steele dossier were uh, right? Yeah, we've already seen that some parts were right. Um, and so Which does that parts? mean all of them? So look, Matt, let, if you're going to get into like, hey, what is Trump's uh, connections to the Russians? I'm super happy to do that, and let's do that in a sec, okay? Just to finish the thought on the dossier in, sure. in, in, overall, like that wasn't like, oh my God, the Steele dossier must be correct. No, 
to the naked eye, there's a million connections between Trump and Russia, a million. And I'm happy to debate that for a whole nother hour. Okay, so what the Horowitz report, I loved what they said. Okay, so on the one hand, they said all the conspiracies of Donald Trump and his idiot cronies are totally wrong. Uh, this was not driven by political bias. It, that was not the issue at all. Uh, in fact, on the Steele dossier, they said it, it obviously didn't start the investigation because the investigation had started weeks before they received the Steele dossier at the FBI. And, but they said, no, no, that's definitely in the report. You could disagree with the report, but that's in the report. But they criticized the FBI for not being better in in uh, getting FISA uh, warrants for, you know, errors in getting uh, and maybe even lying in getting FISA warrants. Well, as a progressive, I love that they would get better on being more thorough in FISA warrants and having those be real instead of the rubber stamp that they are 99.9% of the time. So I don't mind that they caught the FBI making those mistakes. I want them to catch the FBI making those mistakes. And I want the process to be better and for there to be more due process. If you want to get into the con uh, connections between Russia and, and Trump, I mean, we could do this all day long. Eric Trump said, uh, we get all of our money from the Russians. Uh, and and then when he golf writer asked him why he said oh they love golf and no no one in their right mind believes yeah, but that, that. That's, that's a it's a huge difference between Russians buying real estate and from and having a, an espionage conspiracy which was the which was the premise of the Steele dossier and was the premise of the collusion argument and, and I said from day one that I, I I'm less concerned about whether Trump worked with uh, the Russians during the campaign because of things like. Uh, him saying, hey, publicly, why don't you hack into Hillary Clinton's computers or release his, her emails? Well, if he was working with them behind the scenes, why would he have to say it publicly? Uh, why did Roger Stone have to go to WikiLeaks to find out uh, what was going on with the documents if they were working with the Russians when they already had the documents? So it wasn't about the campaign. It's that Donald Trump has been a lifelong criminal and he has had uh, clear financial deals with Russia. And if, I, if there's one thing I know about Donald Trump, it's that he'll go bankrupt. And so uh, he borrowed, it looks like, and this is what Deutsche Bank is hiding, borrowed a ton of money from the Russians, guaranteed he lost it. So then he owes the freaking Russians. And then he becomes president. And Putin goes, how did I get this lucky? <laughs> right? Right. And so do you think Putin would use that as leverage against Trump? Absolutely. Do you think Trump would let him? Absolutely. So I, the thing I'm more worried about was not the campaign as much as it was what happened once he won the presidency. Okay. There was a lot of reporting for two years that essentially essentially implied that Trump was in a was an agent, was a was a in an espionage yeah. conspiracy and I mean, is it safe to say now that a lot of that was wrong? No. No. Uh, so it totally depends on what time period you're talking about. As I just explained, during the campaign, there was a lot of good evidence that, that he was not yet working with the Russians. He's trying to work with the Russians. They do the meeting in Trump Tower. If they were already working with the Russians, why did they need to do that meeting? And then, and so, and that meeting is fruitless. But after the election, he gives, in my opinion, now we're going to get into some of the de debates, et cetera. Again, that'll take another hour, but he gives the Russians almost everything they want. Uh, he comes out like a little gimp and, and in front of Putin, he's like, oh, yes, yes, I don't believe our government at all. I believe his government, right? And on and on and on. He So if you ask me, if I had to lay down a bet, okay, of a lot of money, which I don't have, is Donald Trump a Russian asset right now or is he not? I would bet he's a Russian asset. 
okay, but that's just based on your impressions of him and how his policies have been Matt, since he's been president. Logical. It's, impre- it's based on Donald Trump definitely took money from the Russians. That means very likely he owes the Russians money, the only thing he cares about. Then he does every fight, favor in the world for the Russians when he's president. It doesn't take a genius to put two and two together. Yeah, but so, that's not what we do in this business. We don't, we don't, we don't. Matt, one second. Matt, if you say to me, based on that, would you impeach him or convict him? No, no, you need hard evidence. So that's why I say investigate it. I'm not ready to make conclusions. If I was in the house, I wouldn't even impeach him over that because you need hard evidence. Get me Deutsche Bank records. Get God damn it, get the Deutsche Bank records. Get his tax records. Why do you think he's so insane about keeping those private? There's no way he didn't do a lifelong criminal enterprise. Everything he's done is a criminal enterprise. Trump University, the charity, etc. You think he, he does? So anyway, if you looked into those financial records, my guess, very informed guess, is that you would find out that he owes the Russians, and that's why he's been... Look, one last thing on that, Matt. Two different meetings with Vladimir Putin. In one meeting, he takes the American translator's notes and rips them up. Who does that? In the next meeting... Maybe somebody goes, who's, who's, had, who's, who's had every conversation he's had with a world leader leaked to the news, to the news media? But he doesn't do that with any other leader. He only does it with Putin. And then another time he goes in and doesn't even have a trans American translator at the meeting with the head of Russia. He only he relies on a Russian translator. Nobody does that. Nobody. And you know Trump. He's. I don't know Trump. And we can see clear as day. He's the most guilty guy you've ever met on every issue. Yeah, but Jenk, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't say he's he's guilty and work backwards from that. All the money from the Russians. He takes all this money from this one particular set of oligarchs. And you think that's the one thing that he didn't do anything wrong in? So concretely, what money? Con- concretely, what relationships? With what? The, I mean, do you think you think this translates into a, again it, the the implication that he, is that he's an asset of, of Russia? You have to have something in order to say that. You, we, we don't I have do all the super obvious things. Is hey, look, Matt. Like for example, well, he's got I, relationships with with. 50 other countries. He's got hotels in half the countries in the Saudi world. Saudi Arabia. No, but but first of all, and he does do favors for them. He does favors for the Saudis, and he said, yeah, Saudis give me 40, 50 million dollars. Is he a, a Saudi agent? No, but it, does he uh, is he do Saudi Arabia and Turkey favors? Because Yeah, he did. He sold weapons to Saudi Arabia, which yeah. is totally inappropriate, but that doesn't make him a Saudi agent. Well, look, if he's actually actively doing it because of his own financial interest, in a sense, it does. Yes. Look, here, I'll give you an example. Mark Sanford uh, goes missing when he was governor of South Carolina. And all of the press reports that he's on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. I went on the Young Turks and I said, no, he's not. Uh, he, I will guarantee you he's not on the Appalachian Trail. Okay. And people said, Jenk, you're outrageous. How could you say that? I'm like, there's no governor that goes missing because he wanted to hike for two days. Unless that's a oh. euphemism, of course. In which yes, case, it works. Yeah, he was on the trail of sorts. Uh, so he he's definitely doing something wrong, and he's definitely not on the Appalachian Trail. You could have said at the time, Matt, hey, Cenk, that's not fair. You don't know. Maybe he went on a long hike. But logically, you knew he was up to no good, and I was right about that. And here we have a similar situation. I'm not telling you I have secret evidence that other people don't. But logically, based on all of the publicly available evidence, if you had to make a bet, that would be the logical place to make it. 
the logical place to start would be that the president of the United States is an agent of a foreign power? This president, yes. Matt, how could you not see it? All he cares about is the money. To well, me, we don't know that that's the, his biggest financial interest, first of all. You don't, you know, we don't know any of this. Except for the fact both Eric and Donald Trump Jr. have said that they get their money from the Russians. Except for the fact that the Deutsche Bank has a division in there that had, was known as a global laundromat that did money laundering, mainly for Russian oligarchs, in that same area of the bank is Donald Trump's money. Another wild coincidence. Except for the fact but that the did. Russians go and buy a third of his properties for obvious money laundering. Now you could say, hey, maybe he didn't know. Maybe he didn't, okay? But they're but we, obviously Jake, taking the money out of the country. We, we, don't, we don't do that in this business. In order to call, call, say that somebody has committed a crime, we have to be able to demonstrate. I couldn't do that at Rolling Stone. I'd be sued if I did that. Yeah, I, I hear you. So that's why I say all the time, and I'm very clear about it. First, we give you the facts, then we give you context, and then last, we give you perspective. And my perspective is that Donald Trump uh, works for the Russians based on every action he's ever taken. But what's, can I ask one question? What's, what's the, this is a question I have, what's the Russians? Like, is that the Russian government? Is that Russian oligarchs? What does it mean when we say that? Yes, Russian oligarchs is, pro is where he very likely borrowed the money. Again, I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Deutsche Bank, give us the goddamn records and let's find out, okay? And so, uh, and then there are no oligarchs in Russia that operate without Putin's permission. That well, but they all have varying, differing relationships with the, with the government. It's not a totalitarian state. It's, it, you know, the, they, some of them are closer to, to Putin. Some of them are closer to other factions. It's not... It's not 100% guaranteed that if somebody has a relationship with a Russian company that it's that absolutely that means that they're going to be working for the FSB or the you know the SVR or whatever it it's, doesn't work like but, that. Matt, will you acknowledge that it is that if a Russian oligarch had some leverage over over a United States president that Putin would be interested in that and would exert some degree of pressure uh, to use that leverage. Would you agree with that statement? No, I mean, it's it's not any different from saying that, you know, a, a Saudi sheik is going to get, you know, somebody whispering in his or her ear about uh, in his ear about uh, pressing, uh, you know, a weapons deal with well, with the, the American president. It's, but I totally agree with you. But Matt, but that doesn't make it an, esp an espionage thing. It, it just, no, it's Matt, just it's yes, it does. Matt, I'm not establishing media, so I'm not going to go down the thing of like, hey, don't talk about Saudi Arabia. Don't talk about any other countries. Only talk about Russia. No, all those countries are all trying to influence Trump with money. And it's very logical. If you were so the same way they, 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 they tried to influence the Bush family, they did the same way they've tried to influence every and political exactly. family. And Matt, that's why I say I'm not the mainstream media. The Bush family and all of those other uh, politicians are greatly influenced by lobbyists and also by money from foreign countries and the mainstream media totally ignores that yeah. but we don't do that at dyt we cover those stories but so what i'm asking you to do is as you're covering all those stories as we always have matt you should also cover the russia story related to trump to weirdly exempt that from all the other corruption that we cover when it comes to other politicians in other countries is just bizarre it's obviously I'm, I'm not asking you to exempt. I'm, I'm asking you to start with what we know and then work forward. And we just don't know a whole lot here. We don't have anything concrete that says this person has an espionage relationship with a foreign country, which is what everybody's been doing. Well, so what we do agree on, let's end on a unity point, is uh, we all agree 
that there's a disproportionate focus, right, on the narrative of Russia stuff, that the Dems have dropped the ball, that it's not, as we saw Nancy Pelosi said this week, uh, she didn't want to impeach uh, Bush over lying, misrepresenting WMDs in Iraq, but Ukraine is the thing that is impeachable. So we have some overlap, right? Oh, we have a ton of overlap. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. And guys, look, see, this is an interesting intellectual conversation. So when when I go and get challenged by mainstream media, et cetera, it's on oppo research that is old and irrelevant or out of context, and they know it, uh, and they use it anyway to try to distract people from the issues. Whereas this is a conversation about an important issue, and we have a perfectly fair intellectual disagreement about it. Nothing wrong with that at all. God bless. That's true. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we wish you uh, wish you luck in, yeah. your, in your race. You'll have to check in with us when you uh, as, it, yeah. as it goes on. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And I appreciate you having me on. Uh, and look, I'll do one last pitch to the audience. Um, since I have now gone after almost every corporate interest, uh, especially in that district, uh, it is inconceivable that I won't have millions of dollars spent against me by those corporate interests. And since I'm not taking any of that money, all I got is you guys. So jank2020.com, that's C-E-N-K, 2020.com. I hope you guys put up a link to it. Uh, so, and if you can, volunteer. If you can't, uh, please donate because uh, with your money, we're going to have enough uh, to beat these guys. So thank you. And anyone you want, any other progressives you just want to list to give a shout out to so people look into them? I just realized this is the Yeah, so look, the quick and easy way to do it is to go to justicedemocrats.com because uh, they have all the uncorrupted candidates that are really progressive. Jessica Cisneros in Texas, Jamal Bowman in New York, Marine Newman in Illinois, Kara uh, Eastman in Nebraska, she's wonderful, please check her out. Cori Bush, uh, Morgan Harper, these are all amazing progressives. And there are some progressives that are not yet just Democrats, but Mike Siegel in Texas, uh, Andrew Romanoff in a really important primary against Hickenlooper in Colorado. Guys, this 2020 election is everything so if you don't want to give to me for whatever reason bless your heart no problem at all but make sure you're supporting someone right and and thank god bernie's got a lot of money keep that going uh but there's so many progressives that desperately need that money and as aoc proved and so many other candidates proved you just got to hit the minimum if we hit the minimum viable uh number we're all in the ball game so I, I think I'm going to hit that number right now. I, I'm arguably leading again. Definitely millions will come in for her. Uh, but uh, go out and find those candidates and make sure that you're helping in any way that you can. And I'll super last thing. Every time I run into someone that either donated or volunteered to AOC's campaign, they say it's the best decision they ever made because they feel like they were a part of that victory. And they were. They're 100 percent right. So go do that for the Mike Siegels and the Morgan Harpers and the Jamal Bowmans. Go do it right now. It'll be the best feeling you ever have. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much again for coming on and uh, and good luck. Knock them dead. Yeah. Knock them dead. You know, I learned something today. I learned a lot today. What did you learn first? Well, I think that was that was actually there was a lot of really interesting stuff there. I think we learned that we're all human. And, and, you know, he's got a lot of insights in terms of the direction of where media is going to go. I think he was one of the first people to realize that the, you know, the the news landscape as currently constructed just doesn't work for a lot of audiences. And he he was smart to to branch out there. Yeah. And just to be a really quick factual note, uh, 
I, I was rolling my eyes when when Jenk uh, was talking about how the steel dossier uh, didn't arrive until after. That's because he has a uh, neurological yeah, uh, condition uh, that uh, makes condition. him a little yeah. uh, the, the distinction there, if you, if you look in the executive summary of the Horowitz report, the FBI actually had it in July before the start of the, the uh, Crossfire Hurricane investigation, but it was only Steele's case agent. The actual team didn't have it until September, yeah. so that's why I was making gestures yeah. of googly eyes. I learned that there's media bias. There is media and, bias. Uh, yeah, I w yeah. Do you feel like he was put off by us starting with the farts? Well, if he was, then that's, uh, he's not ready to be a congressman, honestly. <laughs> if you can't right, take the heat, right. get out of the kitchen. But, you know, his, his campaign, look, it, it's going to say a lot about where progressives are in yeah. this country. He's a high-profile progressive in a district where they're putting a lot of money to stopping him. So it's, right. it's going to be one to watch for him, for yeah. sure. Um, all right. So we uh, that was a cool show. Yeah. Um, we, we have this audience participation thing that yeah. we're, we're going to start with. We're going to have some new stuff coming your way. Thanks for tuning in. How do, you, tuning how do you subscribe? Uh, just go to iTunes and subscribe. Rate and review us. Give us five stars hopefully, um, and say how great we are and, make, and put in the comments that we're so much better than Pot Save America. Save America yeah. And people are starting to get on our case about that. Getting on our case how? They, we, we talk about Pot Save America too much. Oh, they don't I, want to, us to give them any free uh, publicity? No, they think that we're being bitter. And, oh, and and petty? I, yeah, I think we should. Of course we, we are. We have to keep going. We have it's, to double right down. Right now, it's not funny. We have to double down. Yeah. But eventually, this will be. So trust us, this will be funny yeah, eventually. Yeah, if it's not already funny. No, it's no laughing matter. We need to defeat them. We will crush them. <laughs> we will crush them. All right, cool. Thanks right. for for uh, tuning into Useful Idiots. Talk Bye. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.